Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. With a career spanning three decades as a stage manager and arts administrator in some of the most beloved arts organizations in Vancouver, Sheila Munn's dedicated work and love for the arts runs deeper than most. I first met Sheila in February of 2013 as she was our stage manager for that year's UBC Opera Winter production of Dialogue de Carmelite, Dialogue of the Carmelites by Francis Poulenc. In 2014, after 19 seasons and 90 productions at the Vancouver Opera, Sheila joined the UBC Opera Ensemble staff as our resident event and stage manager. Over the years, I have learned an incredible amount from my unique friend, both through working with her as a co-administrator and as a student on stage. Sheila joins me today to talk about her career, how she found her path to the stage management, and she will help give us a glimpse into the hard work and effort that goes on backstage to make performers like myself look good. Welcome, Sheila. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Ollie. I've been out on my bike today for the first time in a long time because it's a lovely day in Vancouver today. So, Sheila, many of our listeners have worked with you either at VO, at UBC, the Fire Hall Art Center, the Playhouse, the list really goes on. But very few of us know where and how you got involved with stage management and specifically opera. How did you get started on this path? Well, my parents were classical music novels. Neither of them were musicians, but they really enjoyed theater and chamber music and things like that. And as children, they would take my brother and I to see theater, ballet, lots of Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, um, because they were British after all. (laughs) Um, But I would say my real pleasure when I was young was definitely going to the ballet. I never did ballet lessons myself, but that was always my favorite thing to go to. And and then in high school, I was an arts kid in high school in Mississauga. So I have many recollections of going to the Stratford Festival on school trips. And I had two really great drama teachers who, in our final year of high school, arranged for about six or eight of us who were very interested in theatre to get a student subscription to Canadian Stage in downtown Toronto. And I can still to this day remember a really amazing production of Bertolt Brecht's Caucasian Chalk Circle that I saw there, like back in the 70s. So that was, that sort of solidified my interest in those kind of arts. With that background in in mind, did you initially go to school as in a university um, with the goal of becoming uh, a stage manager and arts administrator? Or were you were you naturally taken into that path after starting in university in a different degree? Yeah, it went in a different way. I didn't actually end up going into a theatre or one of those arts disciplines right away. I initially trained as an interior designer at Ryerson in Toronto. And then partway through my degree, I actually applied to the National Theatre School in Montreal to study set design. I got accepted for that, but got cold feet about moving to Montreal because I'm not fluent in French. And I was getting a lot of pressure from my parents and professors to not give up on a degree partway through. So I stayed on at Ryerson to complete my degree there. And instead, for my thesis design project, I designed a theatre museum and archives. And my outside thesis advisors were the uh, archivist at the Stratford Festival, and Herbert Whitaker, who at that time was the theatre reviewer at 
the Globe and Mail and a real authority on Canadian theatre history. So, so I kind of combined the two things. You are from the, the Greater Toronto Area in Ontario. How did you make your way to BC? Well, when I graduated from Ryerson in 1981, it was the midst of the Alberta oil boom. So I moved west right after I graduated to see if I could get work as an interior designer and got two job offers within three weeks. And then later on, by the time the oil boom crashed, I ended up just doing whatever work I could get. So I ended up working for a legal, legal publishing company. Um, by that time, I'd actually met my husband and he was transferred by his company to Vancouver. So I ended up in Vancouver still working for the publishing company in BC, but I was really, really bored because it wasn't very challenging. And people would say to me, why don't you go back to school? And my answer always was, oh, if I did that, I would do something impractical like theater. <laughs> and eventually I started to listen to myself and decided to figure out what that was going to involve. Oh, interesting. So how, where, where did that lead you? Where did you end up going to school? So I'd been, I'd been taking night school acting classes in Vancouver, strictly as a social outlet. I never wanted to act or anything like that. And the instructor there had had a really wide-ranging arts career. So one evening over a drink, I asked him to help me figure out some theatre jobs. So he recommended that I apply to the Banff Centre um, because they had a, a sort of internship program there. And I applied there and was accepted, first of all, into um, a three-month summer program that was called the, the Stagecraft Program, where you learned everything about every department involved in theatre production. And then you also worked as crew on the summer festival programs. So they did opera, ballet, theatre. I was primarily working on the ballet workshop program. And I think in my perfect world, I'd have probably ended up as a ballet stage manager. But I realized pretty quickly that there's not a lot of ballet companies in Canada. There's definitely more theater companies. So I was definitely going towards theater. But then one afternoon on my day off, I was cutting through the theater building on my way to downtown Banff for something. And I discovered the orchestra rehearsing in the lobby for the summer opera, which was Albert Herring. I'd never actually heard an orchestra rehearsing before. So I thought, well, this is really me. And I decided to just sit down and watch and listen. And I can still remember the exact spot they were at when I sat down. The bells chiming for the clock for mm -hmm. Sid and Nancy's duet, Time is a Glutton. Yes. And there was a, a singer in, in one of the casts of the opera who was sitting nearby and sort of saw me watching and sort of, you know, leaned over with his score and sort of pointed to where they, they were and indicated that I could follow along in his score if I wanted to. And so I stayed to the end of that rehearsal and never got my laundry done that I was heading into Bath to do <laughs> and uh, was really hooked and very excited to work on the props crew for that show later on in the summer. And then when I went back to Banff in the fall, there was an excellent repetiteur on staff who you also know very well as he ended up working at UBC called David Boothoid. And he taught me how as a stage manager to follow a conductor and what you actually needed, you know, to get from the score and things like that. And we spent many hours in the practice huts, the practice rooms at Banff, where he would 
play from the score, you know, like an overture or something like that. And then I'd practice calling out cues, you know, curtains up, lights go, etc. And all that kind of stuff. After you completed your time at Banff, um, how did you find your way into Vancouver Opera? Well, st- I mean, stage management was definitely solidified by the time I by came point, back from, of from Banff. And I, ca- I came back from Banff and started working with all sorts of companies right when I came back. I did improv at theater sports, dance programs at the fire hall, um, small independent co-op productions. And then I started working at some of the larger companies as an assistant stage manager. Eventually, I was given a chance to to stage manage at, at the Playhouse, moved up from an assistant. But during those years, I would always still send my resume to Vancouver Opera, hoping for a chance to work on a larger show. Um, then in 1995, a stage manager who I was working with at the Playhouse on one of their teams was very good friends with the opera stage manager and told me that she was leaving and that also one of their long-term assistant stage managers were leaving. So there was going to be two vacancies. Since I didn't have a lot of opera experience by that point, I knew it would be better for me to apply for an assistant position, even though I had actually been working as a stage manager again by that point. So I actually went for the interview and as a stage manager, you have to do a music test as well. And I ended up getting offered the job later on the same day that I interviewed. What did you um, interview with? The the test piece of music they put on was um, Carmen. And uh, the recording that they were using was different from the score that I had been given. And I pointed out the fact that there was like, you know, a bar missing or something like that. And they sort of said to me, oh, you're the first person that's pointed that out in the music test. So then I, I worked as the assistant stage manager for two seasons at VO. And the person who had been hired that same year as I started actually decided to move back to the East Coast at the end of two seasons. Um, so during the next season, VO had a couple of guest stage managers from Toronto and New York at the beginning of the season. But partway through that season, then decided to offer me a stage management position. While you were at VO, uh, over 90 productions is, is, is a lot. Are there any that stand out to you um, as having moved you any particular way, funny stories? Yeah, I've, I, I have a couple. I definitely would say my all-time favorite show had to be Nixon in China during the 2010 Olympics. And it was actually directed by uh, Michael Cavanaugh, who I had a long uh, working relationship with at, at VO because we had kind of moved up in the same kind of level at the same time. When I started there, he'd been an assistant director. At Vancouver Opera. But Nixon in China, it had an amazing cast as well, and including the um, Thomas Hammond, who had actually originated the role of Henry Kissinger in the original production, and the conductor John DeMann had also been in the pit for the premiere production, which had been back in like 1987. So that is still to this day an, an opera that I just really, really have very fond memories of. Another opera that people often ask me about if they find out I worked on it 
was a double bill of Bluebeard's Castle and Ivartung, which was directed by the filmmaker Atamagoyan. So the Bluebeard's Castle part of it, they, the set had this big pool of water on stage that Bluebeard's dead wives emerged out of. And so people will still ask me, how did they come out of the water? And so the little, the little sneaky thing was that the pool was actually started off stage. So it was dancers that were um, working as the dead wives. They would get into the pool off stage, duck under the water, hold their breath, and then the assistant stage manager would actually tap on the side of the pool with a big stick so that they could hear their cue to walk forward. And then they would like stand up and emerge from the water. And it was a, just a really, really neat effect. And then water slopped all over the stage. And later on, Bluebeard's wife, Judith, would come down stage and the whole train of her dress would get soaked and you would and you would hear it slapping around when she was really angry and it was it was just an amazing effect to hear like to hear this train slapping around with with the water you know that sound when something hits boards and yeah so that was a very that was a very very interesting show to work on I started working as Professor Hermiston's admin assistant at the school, and you also started as our new events and stage manager uh, for the opera ensemble. Um, the combination of working under Nancy's guidance and your mentorship really set me up for things I would later on go to accomplish. I, I would later, I later went on to accomplish, I should say. Did you ever see yourself, uh, quote unquote, going back to school per se and being able to teach um, and mentor a new generation of artists and musicians? It wasn't a role I initially saw for myself, although a few years before I had actually started full time up at UBC, I stage managed the occasional show there, usually in the summer. And Nancy had talked to me about trying to get me involved more regularly. And she told me that she thought I'd be really good with the students. And I'd always really enjoyed mentoring stage management apprentices at the opera. And it was interesting because once I, I moved up to UBC, I found I really did enjoy the energy and the enthusiasm that you and all your classmates, you know, brought to the process. And I find that it's still one of the things that, that draws me back, being able to connect with, you know, younger people performers starting out in their careers and things like that. Um, is there a particular uh, performance you enjoyed the most while you were with us? Getting a chance to work on a production of Albert Herring at UBC, because, as I say, that was the first opera I'd been introduced to at Banff, and over the years had turned into a real Benjamin Britten fan. And Actually, after the UBC production, because that was before I moved up there full time, I subsequently worked on another production at Vancouver Opera of Albert Herring. So it really has been a favorite show for me. You know, I worked on it once as crew and had the opportunity to stage manage two different productions of it. So that's been a favorite show for me at, at UBC. The other UBC show recently, which I would say was a really amazing production to work on was Silent Night 
about the Christmas truce during the First World War. And there was something really, really powerful about seeing all the young singers involved who were really at the age that many of those soldiers would have been. So I think it really hit home for everyone involved in that production. While in the program, students get involved with everything from administration and ticket sales to costuming and set building. And I remember um, my first time being in the booth with you was when I was doing the surtitles for Ariadne of Naxos. Um, that was very enlightening because up until that point, we have we had multiple opportunities to work together um, as myself as a student on stage performing and yourself as the stage manager. But I'd never actually sat with you and seen you go through the rehearsal process and seen you go through all your notes meticulously, the cues, the 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 intricacies um, that go through bringing a production to life every night during performance. And that's, I think, one one part of the picture that uh, when you're a student in the opera ensemble, you really don't get a chance to because it's so, get a chance to get involved with because it's so critical. What does it take to be a stage manager? Well, you've got to be incredibly patient, be very calm and reasonable. Um a diplomat with excellent organizational skills. But you can't really do this job if you don't love it because stage managers are the first people to arrive at rehearsal and usually the last ones to leave. If something goes wrong, the first person people complain to or get angry with is usually the stage manager. So you also have to be a problem solver. You can't express your own opinions. Some directors will ask you what you think about something going on, but not always, and you should never really try and give your own input without being asked or influence what's going on on stage. Your biggest input really is to helping to keep or devise an efficient schedule that maximizes everybody's time, especially during theater rehearsals and particularly when there's an orchestra involved. You also have to be really, really good with people because you deal with so many different people who are involved in a show. You know, you'll have principal guest performers who are often from out of town, uh, donors and sponsors who may be invited to rehearsals or backstage, crew members and musicians, and they're both part of different unions. So you've got to be familiar with those union agreements. And then, you know, there's lots of volunteers and staff. So you really do interact with a lot of people. Um, some of the skills that you need as a stage manager, you're the person who passes on all the information from rehearsal to the other production departments, you know, what props or costumes might need to be added, anything special that has to happen with someone's legs or makeup. Um, in the theatre, you, you pass on all the information required for scene changes, special effects, anything like that. Everything that makes up the production, the stage manager has to know what's going on. And a lot of people may not know this, but for performances, even the conductor doesn't enter the orchestra pit until the stage manager gives the go-ahead. Some people sort of say, oh, the stage manager is God, but I don't like that terminology. I never use that to describe myself. I always call myself the air traffic controller of backstage. <laughs> when we were working together in the office, that was one of the biggest things I learned from you was... Um, just a, a different level of organization and management um, that goes into um, being a successful stage manager and uh, shouldering all of those responsibilities. 
Um, it was really, really cool to see. And as I said, it, it came back uh, into full circle when I, when I actually was sharing the booth with you um, and, and going through, I mean, the sur just the surtitles for Ariadne were over 800 surtitle slides. And then me looking at your binder and seeing all the notes and stickies and, and things that were going on at any given time with the light cues and so on. I just, it's yeah. beyond impressed at, at how one person can handle so much. It, it also depends to how, how you end up, you know, how the lighting designer ends up lighting things and, and what changes get made at the last minute. Cause I, I can remember once at Vancouver Opera doing a production of Boheme and there's that, um, at the end of the, the second act where there's kind of like the, um, it's like the, the military band or a band comes on stage and like everybody sort of follows the band off stage at the end of the, the, the thing. And, oh, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. For some reason, because everybody was moving from one side of the stage to the other, the, the director decided kind of at the last moment that he didn't just want a generic light look for that. He kind of wanted the light to fade and follow people as, as they moved. So we ended up putting a lot of light cues into that one section. And again, if you're, if you're watching a stage manager follow along with the score, obviously, if you if you know a score, you know, when it has like the full chorus and everybody in the orchestra going, like, it may be one page of music is only like, three or four bars. So you're flipping pages really, really fast, because also as a stage manager, you you turn your score into a single sided score so that you can write blocking and notes and things like that on the other side of the page. So that last act of Boheme is something like, you know, 30 pages single-sided or something like that. And, and there was literally, there was a light cue to call sort of every two bars or so. And I was flipping pages, calling light cues. I just basically, you know, talk, 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 talk the whole time. And there's this whole little retinue of kids from the kids' chorus come trundling off. I sort of got to the end of one rehearsal and I just felt like I was an auctioneer because it would be, you know, like, like you 21.5 go, 22.5 go, 23.5 go, 24.5 go, 25.5 go. And, and then this last <laughs> little kid came off and just looked at me as I was just like saying all this stuff. And then I said, What's up? What am I? What am I offered for this child that's just come off stage? You know, the highest bid gets them. You know. <laughs> As someone who's been working in the arts um, and for arts organizations over the last three decades, what would you say? What would you tell people with regards to the importance of supporting local and provincial arts organizations through these hard times? Well, you know, I'm honestly a bit worried in Canada because no one in the media or government really seems to be paying any attention to what a detrimental effect this is having on arts organizations. You know, and you don't see very much about it. You don't even see, you know, links to what various companies may be presenting on, trying to present online, you know. So I would definitely say it's really important if you're interested in the arts to try and keep up with the various organizations, go onto their website, see what they're trying to do, 
Some are much more proactive on their websites with information or alternate programming than others, you know, so it's just, it's a little bit hit and miss even. And I know not everyone's able to donate to arts organizations, but even if you take the cost of tickets that you might have bought for a show that you were looking forward to going and seeing and donate that to them, every little bit helps at this point. You know, social media has made a big difference to a lot of arts organizations and the ability to stream things. And even, you know, even for a lot of the larger companies that that regularly, you know, even outside of this time, do the, the you know, live HD broadcast to, to cinemas and things like that. Like, that's all fairly new, you know. So I think people are a little bit more aware from that sense. But there's also a lot of things out there. So I think that's just the important thing to try and keep spreading the word as much as you can. And as I say, a lot of arts organizations aren't necessarily as tech savvy or social media savvy as, as you know, your generation. And some of them have, you know, people that help with that and don't, but not everybody does. So the more you can kind of keep spreading that word, the better, I think. At the end of every uh, every episode, I ask my guests uh, what's on their quarantine playlist. And uh, for you specifically, I have to ask, have you seen any amazing productions or performances online that you would recommend to our listeners? So my quarantine goal, when all this started, when I thought it might not be around for very long, haha, was to watch the complete 16-hour ring cycle on the Met Opera app. Um, I did manage to get through all that. It took me several weeks. I certainly didn't do it all at one sitting. And now I can sort of say I've checked that off my list. It's definitely not on my list of things that I'd like to stage manage, you know, so. Um, <laughs> but I've actually been going back and watching a lot of dance. I mean, that's probably not a surprise to you. But uh, there's a dance website called Point Magazine that lists what's on all around the world. And I'm actually amazed at how many dance companies have the resources to be putting their content online and, and sort of an amazing variety of companies. So that's been, I've really been enjoying watching a lot of dance. Locally, what I'm also really enjoying a project that Early Music Vancouver has started on their website called Musical Offering. They profile, uh, I think each week they do it. They've, they've done several. I'm not quite sure how regularly it is that they, they add to it. They profile one of their musician associates and they have that person write a blog piece about what they're working on or doing during quarantine. Then they have a photographer who does a really nice socially distanced portrait of the person in their home from outside or in the studio or something like that. Um, and, and then they do a video recording of a piece of music which the artist chooses to play from their home or studio. They're all kind of different, you know, because as you know, everybody has different reactions to how this is affecting them, how they're dealing with it and things like that. So it's a very interesting project. Sheila, 
Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you for uh, coming and speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, it's been a pleasure, Ali. And it's really nice to, to talk to you for such an extended period of time again. With that, as always, a huge thank you to Mr. Duncan Watts-Grant for editing and producing this show with me. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and rate Noteworthy. We would love to hear from you as we bring our first season to a close and prepare for our second. Finally, remember that by supporting your local arts and cultural organizations, you are supporting artists of every stripe, both those who perform on stage and those who are working their magic behind the scenes. Thank you for listening.